We're going to be in Ephesians 2, if you'd like to turn there, and we'll try to stay there. Have y'all ever imagined, if you could go back in time and choose one thing to change in the past, one decision made, one action taken, something said at one spot, I think a lot of us probably have had that kind of, or if only this could be different, how much difference that would make in our lives. And I think part of the challenge is, is we tend to think, well, maybe it's just me, that if this one thing changed, it would fix so many other things. It would take care of so many other things. The, the problem is, is even if I change that one, I'm still there. I'm talented. I could repeat the same mistake again later on. But, you know, this. I think our challenge is sometimes we look back and think, if I could just, if I could do it. And I think when we get into Ephesians, when we t- look at chapter 2, that we, we start looking at, if only I could get rid of this. Um, well, in, in verse 1, he starts out, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, in those verses, there is a statement that begins, just a reminder that says how many of us, when we read this, think of a past that we wish we could make different, that would just go away. If, if only I had chosen different, and then I wouldn't be where I am now. If only I had done different, I wouldn't have the problems I have now. It's almost the same type of thing of trying to go back and wanting to fix it. And so he, he reminds us, this is, this is how we got we are, where we are today. is because of what we've done in the past. And as he lays that out, the, the challenge in this is that he, he puts that all together, even though we see that past, I think the challenge, there are, there are a couple groups of us, uh, this generalities, I know we're all different, but it's easy for us to start thinking, well, I don't know if I was really that bad. Have you all ever had that thought? You know, I grew up pretty decent. I don't know if I was that bad. And, and the hard part in that is it's easy for us to look at us and compare ourselves to others. But let me tell you what, Paul takes a wrench and he puts it in that, I, I wasn't that bad. Because in verse 3 he says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now Paul in that statement takes all of us, whether we can look back at our past and think, you know, I really messed up things bad. Or whether we look back and think, you know, I grew, up, I grew up in church and I grew up trying to do right. And I grew up trying to be the person God wanted me to be. And I tried all of that. And then we look at Paul. And Paul grew up trying to be right with God, doing what he knew was right, growing up and learning about God. And if Paul says all of us means sometimes we need to reframe how we look at our lives and think about the reality of, of what's there, because it's, it's easy, I think, in trying to make our past disappear to make it compare to others so we can feel better about it. And if, if we've grown up kind of decent, it's easy to, to take ourselves out of this group. But the reality is, Paul wants to make sure every one of us understands that we all have a past that put us in the same spot. 
And what we have to realize is that I have to look back at my life and I may not have done fill in the blank. What are the terrible things we could have done if we feel like we hadn't been that bad? Without re- thinking about from the, the, that the problems that we have that we may not seem as bad. Because when we think about bad sins, what are bad sins? Well, we can come up with sexual immorality, robbing banks, you know, stealing, murder. We can come up with a pretty good list. Getting all tangled up, you know, drunkenness. I mean, make a list. But how many of us on our list put pride or apathy or being unloving? Those don't, some, sometimes those don't get listed as heavy as some of the others. But the reality is, they're still part of what takes us away from God. And so Paul wants to make sure that we can see that we realize that every one of us are included in these three verses. When he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He doesn't leave a loophole for any of us to be able to say, well, I was pretty decent and I didn't do too bad. He wants us to see ourselves honestly about where we were, even if we have to to reframe ourselves and go, wait a minute. Yeah, I didn't do those things, but let me tell you. Let me tell you the things I did that I know were wrong. And to be able to describe them that way. Because everything that, that was there... See, and the thing is... Well, I won't get distracted. Hold on. Uh, the thing is, is we look at those things and, and, and we have to remember. It, put, it made us... I mean, he describes us as dead. And the thing about being dead... I mean, how, what do you do about being dead? You all ever been dead? You don't do anything about it, do you? You can't. There's nothing you can do once you no longer have life. And there's where he's trying to get us. He's trying to remind us that's our place. There wasn't anything we could go back in time and fix it and get rid of that so that we would be now alive. There's nothing that we're going to be able to to put it all together so that now, oh, now we're good. It's we still have the same result. That we were dead. Because the thing is. We have to, to hear. Once we can look at ourselves honestly. Then this gets reframed in our thinking. To understand what God has done for us. But God. I, I like the translations. That, that put but God first. And then fill in the other parts of it. But God. Because, but because of his great love for us. God who is rich in mercy. Made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And when he puts that together, he says, God, God is the one. He raised us up. He made us alive. He raised us up. He seated us with him. He put us where we could not put ourselves. He brought about in our lives what we could not do for ourselves. When when you're dead, you cannot make yourself alive. But God is able to do that. God is the one that we needed to be able to look to. God is the one that could put all that together. And so when he puts that together for us to remind us that God is the one. And in verse 10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good work. Over and over again, where does he point us to? Where is he going to remind us to look for all of this? To God. 
God is the one that made us alive. God is the one that created us in Jesus Christ to do good work. We're his handiwork. He's the one that's taking care of us and provided what we needed. And so as we look back to the past, we can say, I, I didn't do well there. Whether we can say we messed up, all of us still look to the same spot for the hope that we need. That God is the one that puts everything together. And it's not because, not because of any of us are any good. Says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. He doesn't reference any kind of rating on how good we were or how, how valuable we were. He, he puts it at, let me tell you about God and what, who he is. Because of who he is, he's the one that acted on our behalf. Because of his love, because of his mercy, we have what we need now. Which means, now we have to understand that this little thing, which means no matter what your past is, it's God's love and His mercy that gives us the hope. So take a list of, of, of every possible sin that's possible. Check off all the ones that you've done. You look at that and go, there's no way I, and then you know there is no way I. It's God in His love and His mercy that makes it possible, not because of our good. He, he emphasizes, by grace you have been saved. It's him that's, that's acted because beyond anything we could have ever done or even imagined that he made us alive when we were dead. He says he raised us up and he seated us with him. He, he, he takes us from where we were and he puts us to where we could not have been on our own. We never could have gotten there. And, and there's where he's trying to encourage us to see because this, you frame this all this together. Um, I think it's chapter 4. He, he finally continues his thought. But the, all of this kind of points us to, now think about where we are and how we got here. And it will change how we look at life and we look at ourselves. Because it's God that's, that got us where we need to be. He says it's by grace. Again, he, in, the heavenly, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in Christ Jesus. That it's, it's what God has done. That whenever we get to the end of all this, we look back and say, let me tell you how good God is. We don't get to the end of this story and go, man, I tell you what, let me tell you how I really changed my life. If our story ends up like that, we, we're missing what God has done. We're missing what the whole process, because the end of the story should end when we have our focus on, when it's God that's involved, that it, we talk about, let me tell you what God has done. How amazing it is that he took me. And, and made me alive, and he took me where I and put me where I didn't belong. That he he made me to be there. He's the one that that did all of this for me. And so I talk about what God has done in Christ, not me. Because no matter what, no matter what, our hope always is in Christ. In verses eight and nine. For it is by grace. Here again. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. See, there it is again. There's no way when we understand what God has done, we come to the end of it and talk about how great we're doing based upon our own abilities. We come to the end of this and we talk about what God has done because we put our trust in Him. It's, it's His grace, His power, and we've trusted Him to take care of and do what we could not do. That, that, that is what we needed all along. Because I can't. 
A dead body cannot return itself to life. A soul separated from God cannot return itself to life. We desperately needed God to provide what we needed. And so we get to the end of that and we know somebody may tell, come up and tell us, man, you've really changed how you look. It's amazing what you've been doing here lately and how different you are. And then our response is what? It's not me. Let me tell you what God has done. And there's where he wants us to get. Because the idea isn't changing our past. The idea of what is what changing what is in us and what God is doing in us. Bringing, <clears throat> my goodness, excuse me, bringing us back to life. Now part of this, in these first three verses, verses of chapter 2, is sometimes it's easy for us to think about behavior as something we control. And take, well, we do control our behavior. Because we get focused on behavior and we start, well, I got, a, I got some power in this. And he's going to flip this around because if we believe, well, maybe I've got a little bit of, I can take care of this. And now he's going to back up and say, well, if you start thinking about how you can do some things, he's going to change your perspective on even who you are. Uh, I don't think, uh, are there any of us that have any kind of Jewish background at all in our family tree? No? This applies to all of us. Because when you think about who you are, is there anything you can change? Did y'all pick your parents? If you're adopted, maybe you're the closest to it. I think our two youngest had a say in whether or not they wanted to, to be adopted. And when you're five and seven, I guess you don't really uh, think that through well. But they are asked and talked to about it. But none of us was asked, do you want to be born to this family? None of us was asked, well, how tall do you want to be? What do, you, what, what do you want your hair to look like when you get older? What color eyes do you want to have? Did any of us pick that? That's just, we were born into it. We didn't get any choice. We had no, no say in the matter. We, there was nothing that was going on. And so now he comes along and says, there are things in this world that because of who, who we are, it put us in a spot that we needed God. It says, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Now, see, he's going to contrast. For us, we're so far away from what uh, the idea of uh, uh, Jews and Gentiles and, 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 the, and Israel being the focus of what God was all about, that sometimes it's hard for us to, to picture this, but the reality is we still fit into that category of Gentile. We just... We know what God has in mind now. It says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And when we read that, how many of us feel like we were foreigners and separate and, and not part of what God has in mind? We, we, didn't get a, we didn't get that. We were separate. We were excluded. And, and it, it doesn't feel real, I think, today, at least not for me, because... That was so far ago, and we talk about the hope that we have in Christ. But the reality is our hope in Christ wasn't based upon, when you think about Israel, they were born into that covenant. Abraham made it, had got a promise from God. Isaac had that promise, and we can, David, you can talk about all, all the promises that God made to this group of people of the Messiah to come. They were the ones that were chosen. And so when you look at it from that perspective, when we come up, it's almost like say, being... Um, 
seeing the good that some other family's got going on and walking up and hoping that you get to be a part. Y'all ever, y'all ever gone to the park and taken part in a birthday party for somebody else's family? If you've got a big enough family out there, I think you could do it, maybe. But we know that's what, that's what they're doing. It's their party. And, and for Israel, it, the covenants were made with them by God. It was, we see that and we know that the reality was for anybody outside of that covenant, they were excluded from God. We were excluded. By birth, we're excluded from all that goes on in that. We weren't citizens in Israel. We were foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. And when you have that idea of being excluded because of who we are, not because of what we've chosen, it makes it more of a challenge for us to, to realize, oh, this wasn't just a matter of behavior. This was something more. We desperately needed what God could do. Uh, down in verses 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, he talks about the distance being far away. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. He, uh, verse 19, consequently, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens, he, he says the before is foreigners and strangers, that we were excluded on the outside. And because of that, we were excluded because who we are. Because when we understand that, what it means is, in verses 14 and 15, well, am I ahead of myself? Oh, no. I'm jumping ahead of myself. When, when we get to see this, now he talks about he himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the uh, law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. When he brings that, that, that idea of there was no hope for us, there was no way back, and that we needed something. But now, this is the verse I was jumping ahead to, verse 13 he, he frames it to remind us that but now in Christ, that, the word but is a wonderful word, isn't it? Because it talks about what was, and he says, now this is what is. And, and he, this is where he's put us. He says, there are, there are things we could not control because of who we are, who, the family we were born into. But in Christ, your, your hope is not based upon being part of the right physical family anymore. But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You used to be excluded because of who you were. But now, you've been brought in. But now that what Christ has done, that you have been brought back. In a sense, it's like we were, all, we were born and raised on the wrong side of the tracks. And now what Christ has done is he's, he's picked up the tracks and they're no longer there. There's not this side of town, that side of town anymore. That We're all together in, in this and what God has done for us and, and brought together. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the true groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. It, there's, there's not that barrier, there's not that division anymore. By setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. There's, there's no longer this and this and this. He says in Christ we are one. We are one family. We are one group. We're no longer kept separate based upon 
where we were born, who we were born to, and all that, that becomes part of that. He, he takes away the part that kept us out. Because under the old law, who, who of us had any... <clears throat> my goodness. Who of us had any kind of standing to be able to claim anything from God? Not just... You talk about the law and what it, and what it prescribed for its behavior... And, and attitudes and words and all that went on and defining sin, but also the law as it defined who got to be included, who, who became priests, who, could, who were included, who, who were excluded. And so when you have that, he, he, he still takes all of that, and now he takes even the law. It says the dividing wall of hostility, setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations, to be able to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace in one body to reconcile them both to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. If the temple were still standing, if we lived whenever it was still there, and we, any of us, try to walk up to that temple and go in to the inner court, what would have happened? It wouldn't have gone well. We weren't those who belonged. But in Christ, what kept us out of being able to approach God there at the temple is gone. And now he says we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And in all of this, we have to remember, this is all based on we were excluded because of something we couldn't control. And now, he says, you belong. Uh, verses 19 to 22, he says, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. You belong. And also members of his household, part of his family. You belong. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're fellow citizens. Part of the same family. We are being built as his temple. Holy ground. Because of Christ, we are now included where once we were excluded. Whether it was our past, but also based on who we are, that none of that holds us back from being able to go before God and have access to Him, to be pleasing to Him, because in Christ we have just what we need in every way, that we have are wanted and we belong through Jesus Christ. I think, as I read it through this time, something stood out to me, and I, I think part of the challenge in these verses sometimes is, is we try to fix the wrong thing. Have you all ever tried to fix a problem? I, I've done this on cars a handful of times. Where you, you kind of think you already know what the problem is, and so you try to fix the problem that you think you have. And you spend a lot of time trying to fix the problem you think you have. And then if you're lucky, you stumble upon the real problem, and you go... So you can never fix the real problem when you're focused on what's not a problem. And, and I wonder, if we're not careful, 
because of our past, because of our identity, that we determine, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it to where God will want me. And, and so I get, I get really focused on making sure that God will want me now. And I make it so I'm better than the people around me because I live my life. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be more, have more integrity. I'm going, to, I'm going to behave better. I'm going to be more holy. I'm going to live my life in a way that everybody will know I am pleasing to God. You go down that path really hard. You know what happens sometimes? Especially when we're comparing ourselves to other folks. Self-righteousness. And we, fixed the, we may have fixed the problem of the sin that we think is what's holding us back. And we've put ourselves right back in the middle of a sin that's going to hold us back. Because in self-righteousness, what we don't do, we don't talk about how God has taken me from where I was and forgiven me and made me holy and made me alive. When I fall into self-righteousness, I tend to boast about how I, I am so good and all that goes on in my life. And I think in these verses, one big reminder for us is to be able to realize anytime I take my focus off of what God has done, that God in Christ has made me alive. I've lost hold of what my real hope is. God makes us alive in Christ. Not because of how wonderful we are. Y'all are wonderful folks, but he didn't do it because we're wonderful. He did it because of his mercy, his grace. Did what we could not do. We need him. And he's there. Any prayers this evening? Some encouragement? Anything to give it to you back? Maybe you need what only God can give in Christ. Forgiveness. Life. If you need to respond as you come as we stand and sing.